Matthew chapter 18, starting verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet and be cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. That's all we'll read. I'd like to cover all of that but I highly doubt we'll be able to cover all of that. But here uh, you, you see this Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The disciples, they've got this contention amongst themselves. They've got a question in one place, in one place a, a dispute among themselves about which one's the greatest. Now that, that thinking, that, that's our carnal, fleshly thinking. That's our nature. It's easy to look at these men and say what fools that they were for thinking this way. But this is, it's, it's bred into our flesh and into our carnal mind. Paul wrote to the Corinthians. The Corinthian church had all manner of things going on there. All manner. But one of them was they were carnal. He says, you're yet carnal. And you're thinking and you're walking as men. Because one says, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos. Are you not carnal? And walking as men. So what what was really going on there? Well, they were having this same contention. Who was the best? And who was the greatest? And who was the most spiritual? And, and who was the most wise? And who was the, the greatest in the church there? And they, they had even brought that down to, well, I got saved when Paul was preaching here, and that makes me better than you because you got saved under some other fella. And they said, well, now, wait a minute. It may not have been Paul, but I was saved under Apollos. And he's an eloquent speaker, mighty in the Word of God. And, and that makes me even better than you. And so these contentions and this thinking about who's the greatest, who's the biggest, and that's what man aspires to today, is it not? We, we want to be the best. We want our name to be in front of everybody else's. We want ourselves to be seen over the rest of the church. We want our goodness to be proclaimed. And we want to be the best. 
So they come to the Lord Jesus. They said, look, we can't figure out who's the best. Let's go ask the Lord and maybe He can tell us who the best one in the kingdom of God is. Now, if we're going to think soberly now, let's think soberly for just a minute. What does the Bible say about every one of us? I mean, Romans 3, that comes to my mind because in Romans 3, you've got Paul the Apostle uh, laying it out there and, and also he's quoting from all over the Old Testament the Scriptures that tell us what we really are in the kingdom of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's, there's none that doeth good. There's none that seeketh after God. So if you want to begin to measure my goodness by the Word of God, I, I'm at the very bottom. And if you measure your goodness by the Word of God, you're at the very bottom. And there we all are. You know, that's what the law does. It shuts everybody up together. It shuts every mouth of every person. And the whole world becomes guilty before God. And so by the Word of God then, we're all equals. Not in goodness. That's the wrong way to think about it. We're all equals in evil and in wickedness. And in bad, and you know what I've got to my name? I've got a bad reputation. I've got one that I've ruined and that I've marred. I've got sin and ungodliness that I've committed. I've got a life that was in rebellion to God's Word and even to God Himself. I've got nothing good that I can claim to me. And you've got the same thing. The same. And so we're all equally guilty before God. So we know then this question here, which one of us, Lord, oh Jesus, would you reveal to us which one of us is the best? It's not going to get the answer that they're looking for. They're not going to hear what they want to hear. And boy, when, when I start wanting to be good and be exalted, when God comes by, I'm... I'm not going to hear what I want to hear either. So Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst. So there must have been a multitude there. And so the Lord's looking. He sees a child and He called. That word means to summon. To call to oneself. The Lord looks at this child and says, Come over here, young man or young lady. And the child comes to Him and he takes this child up in his arms and sets the child down in the middle of them. Now when it was called, the child came, and the child didn't resist, but the Lord picked that child up and placed it right where he wanted it to be, right in the middle of them. And now I I thought about this this way one time, and if you think about it just for a minute, here's Peter the apostle, and here's James and John, the sons of thunder, Here's Thomas and and all of the apostles here gathered together. Twelve twelve of them. We know one of them was the devil. But let's say here's eleven true apostles of God that God's going to work many miracles through, that God's going to do many mighty works through, that God's going to begin the church in this world through the work of these men. But now how good are they? Well, the Lord takes this little young and sets him down in the midst and says, Verily. 
Now, did the Lord have to say, Truly I say unto you? Do you believe that everything the Lord said was true from the beginning? I mean, he could, He's God. He can't lie. But you know, He's putting some emphasis here. Truly, I say unto you. The Lord says, I'm telling you that this is the truth except. What does except mean? That this is the only exception to the rule. So what is the rule? You're not entering the kingdom of heaven. How are you going to enter? It's not by your righteousness already established. It's not by your works. It's already established. We are not entering into the kingdom of God. We're going to be cast into eternal fire except. Now here is the one and the only exception as to my not entering the kingdom of God, except you be converted and become as little children. Now, we could make a whole lot out of this. A lot of times when you hear this scripture, it is. But you know, do you think he's saying the same thing to the apostles here that the Lord said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? He's, there's no contradiction, is there? So what does he say in John chapter 3? You, you all you know this. You've probably got this Scripture even memorized in your heart. But in John 3, Jesus says, Verily, verily. Not just one verily, but He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse number 5 of John 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So here is an exception as well. I, I'm here to tell you that this is the same as what he's telling them in Matthew 18. So to be converted and become as little children, that is to be born again. It's to be born of the water and of the Spirit. And this is a work of God. Listen to how it reads. Except ye, except you be converted... That word means to, to twist, to reverse, to turn around, and become. That word's an interesting one. The Greek there, that Greek word for become, it's the word we get generate from. You know what a, a generator does? Well, it takes, it takes fuel, it takes gasoline, and from that gasoline, it generates electricity. There's no electricity there before, but it is causing electricity to come forth through the operation of that machine. And so here, here is somebody that's going to be converted. So in order to be like this little child, something's got to be different, wouldn't you say? In order for man to uh, become as a little child and to enter into the kingdom of God, something about the nature of man has to change. Now, the question is, this is a million dollar question, how does this happen? There's, really, there's only two options. There is that somehow or another that I, a dead man, that's not seeking after God and no desire to seek after God by the Word of God, that somehow I roll over out of the coffin 
and I say, you know, I'm, I'm going to humble myself down and I'm going to become like a child that I could be saved. Have you ever seen a dead man do anything? So that, that cannot be. You see that? That can't be the answer. This is God that's at work. He's telling Nicodemus, you're going to have to be born from above. It's not of this world. It's not being born of the priesthood and of the religion and of the temple, but it's being born of the water and of the Spirit of God. This is a work that God does that converts a man. And so I I believe anybody that's saved has had this experience right here. In order for you to enter into the kingdom of God, the Spirit of God and the Word of God was at work. And you know what it did? It put us in reverse the course that we wanted to go down, the course that we were headed down, as God began to reveal Himself unto us, convince us of sin and of the salvation of Jesus, as God began to do that, it it brought a stop to my travels. It stopped me in life. And I began to back up and say, you know what? I don't think I want to go that way anymore. I'd like to come to the Lord. And that work, He he converted me and He become. How did He generate me? Did I come down here like the Pharisee and say, oh, have you ever seen anybody now really get saved, come down here and stand and say, God, I've been so good. And I've been so holy. And I've done so many good works for you. I command you to save me. God, I've done this and you owe it to me. I demand that you save me and give me what I deserve. I've never in my life seen anybody come down and get saved in that manner. But you know how they all come? They all come like a little young. and They're converted Their mind and their heart is changed. Though they used to think they were good, though they thought at one time they were something, the work of the Holy Ghost has brought them right down. You know what they're willing to do? Lord, if you'll save me, if you'll call me today. Maybe not everybody got to that place. But I thought as fear and as dread and as terror of the judgment and wrath of God fell upon me, I said, God, if, if you'll call me today, I'll go no matter what. I'll be like that child. You call me and I'll come because I am in bad shape. You know how that came to be? He generated that in me by the Spirit of the Holy God. And I came as a little child. And if you don't now, if there is no humbling, then there's no entrance into the... This is the way that people come and are saved. They come as little children, as those coming unto God uh, humbly in obedience with no rebellion, but as they're called and and as they're summoned for, they come and they do as the Lord would command them to do. We've got a pile of people too big 
to do what God would ask them to do. That's not people that's been saved. Except you be converted, you're going to have to be changed. You're going to have to come down and be as a little child. He says this in Matthew chapter 19, uh, talking about the rich young ruler. Verse 23, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now if you're not careful, you'll take hardly and you'll say, well, it's difficult, but you can do it. That's not what the word means. The word hardly there, it means impossible in practice to do or to carry out. It's something that cannot be done. Now why can a rich man enter into the kingdom of heaven? Because I'm rich and I don't need anything because all my needs are fulfilled. And in my mind, look how God's blessed me. I don't need anything. I'm not coming. That could be with money. This rich man here, that's the picture we've got. But I tell you that the rich people are those that are rich in good works and religion and those that in their mind they've got everything they need to be acceptable with God. And as long as that's my view of myself, do you see that? As long as I think I'm good enough, as long as I think I'm acceptable, as long as I think I've got what I need to be uh, accepted and let into heaven, I'm not going to come to Jesus looking for salvation. I'm too rich. I've got what I need. I don't need to beg for anything else. I, I know recently we weren't here, but I know Greg looked in Philippians where Paul had all of these good works that were gain unto him. And where did he have to come to enter into the kingdom of God? All things that were gained to me, I've counted as loss. Yea, and even as dung, that I might win Christ. You know where Paul came? Paul came from a man that was a Pharisee of the straightest sect. He was blameless of the law. He was good and he was holy. And when he come to God, he was down at the very bottom with absolutely nothing that he could claim to his name. And you know where Paul went? Paul went from a prospect of the Sanhedrin court to saying, I am the chiefest and the lowest of sinners on the face of the earth. Now how did Paul get there? God spoke to Paul. Paul didn't come to this on his own. But God spoke to Paul and awakened him to the true condition of his heart. So, whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know who the greatest in this world are? The ones with the most. Whether it's land, money, fame, power, what, however you want to chop it up. But it's the ones that have the most, that are the most, they aren't viewed as the greatest in this life. But the kingdom of heaven is totally backwards to the way the carnal mind thinks. You know who Jesus says that the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is? 
the ones that think the least of themselves. These little children, listen to what he says here. Listen to how it's worded. Therefore shall humble himself as this little child in the same manner of this little child. The same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know the Lord, (coughs) He don't need a bunch of big mighty men and mighty women to get His work done. The Lord's not looking for a bunch of big muscle heads or a bunch of uh, scholarly degrees to get His work done. i tell you what the Lord wants. He'd like to have some men and some women that realize that they're absolutely nothing outside of God. That outside of His mercy and outside of His intervention, they'd be lost today and on the road to hell. That the only thing that they could earn with their works was judgment and wrath and anger and destruction from Almighty God. He'd like for me to be humble and say, God, I'm not able to do this. I'm not able to preach Your Word. I'm not able to help them that are blind. God, I need You to lead me and to guide me and to be with me as I work for You in this world. That word dependent on Him as a child. Dad, I can't do this. We went fishing the other day. I went to a bad spot that I knew we'd get hung up a lot, but there was the prospect of a big fish. So we went. You know what I heard? Dad. Dad, I'm hung. And I went to one. And I'm working. And the other, Dad, will you hurry up? I'm hung. And it was continuing. You know what they needed? I can't get this out. Would you come and help me to get this out? Help me do the things that I'm not able to do. You know what a dad's happy to do? You're tickled to death to go and help out. You're tickled to death to go and be assistance because they humbly ask you for help and they realize we're not able to do it. But you know what? I can't help somebody. I heard this a time or two too. I don't need your help, Dad. I can throw it in there. I can't help somebody like that. Can you? They're gonna, we're set. We're going to do it ourselves. I don't need help. I don't need guidance. I'm going to do it myself. I tell you, those with hearts like that, God can't use them in His kingdom. God's looking for people that says, Oh, heavenly Father, our Father which art in heaven, give me this day my daily bread. I cannot do this on my own today. We need you, your help and your strength and your guidance. Well, I'm not going to pray to God like that. I really don't need the Lord today. Those are not people that are in the kingdom of heaven. You know what they need? Converted and become as this little child. But we're going to go a little farther now. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend And that word means to entrap, to trip up, to entice, to sin or to apostasy. (laughs) Whoso should offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it were better that a millstone be hanged about his neck and he be 
drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, there's a little truth right here that would be good for us to understand. You know, the Lord says on over in Matthew, we're going to get a picture of the judgment. And He says, because you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And He says to the, to the goats and to the ones on the left side, because you've not done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've not done it unto me. So as, as God looks at His church, you know, His church is part of Him. And He is a part of His church. You remember in Zechariah, I think it's chapter 2 of Zechariah, the Lord says this, For he that toucheth you... Now there He's speaking of Israel. He that toucheth you toucheth the apple of His eye. So God says, Israel, those that would lay their hands on you, uh, Babylon or, or whoever that it might be, that's going to come and do harm to the people of God, you know it's like they're laying hands on the very uh, love and the very affection of God's eye. It's When you lay hands on a man's wife, you've laid hands on him, haven't you? you'll have a hard time convincing him otherwise. That's the truth. And so here is the Lord. The Lord loves His church. He loves those that He, that he elected. He selected from before the foundation of the world and that He brought to Himself by the Spirit through the Word of God unto Jesus Christ and saved them and cleansed them. And you know, He is a part of the church and we see this in Acts, New Testament example. Jesus is speaking to Paul there. What does Jesus say to Paul? Paul says, Who art thou, Lord? And Jesus says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now where was Jesus at that time? He had already died. He had already resurrected. He had ascended back to God. And this was several years after Pentecost. And so he's, he's been gone. He's not on the earth. And who is Paul persecuting? It's God's people. It's the church. He's breathing out threatenings and slaughterings and wreaking havoc under the church and the Lord says, Paul, it's really not these people that you're laying your hands on. It's really not the apostles that you're after. But it's me that you're persecuting. So the Lord says here in Matthew 18, He says, if you receive one of these little ones, then you've received me. How could that be? Because the Lord is a part of. He is in them and they are in Him that believe on Him. And so if, if I'm going to be mean or cruel to the church, I'm being mean and cruel to the Lord Jesus. You see, it makes more sense when James says, how can you curse man and bless God from the same mouth? How can you curse the church and bless the Lord Jesus if they are one and the same. How can you hit my wife and me not hit you if we twain are one flesh? I tell you, I'm coming to hit. I'm coming for vengeance. 
I'm coming for blood. And yet, well, we'll we're going to trash the church. We're going to run down these little ones. Why, preacher, they're weak. They're a lot weaker than I am. Boy, that's, that's the hardness here of a man that thinks he's one of the greatest. Because in order for me to be the greatest, there's going to have to be people that are weaker, aren't there? And I'll tell you what that produces. Here's a little weakling. Here's somebody that's weak in the faith. And I absolutely despise the weakness that they have in their life. I want to exalt myself over them. I want to walk over top of them. But the problem is, if they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're a part of Him. He's a part of them. And when you despise them, you've despised the Lord that taught them. That's the truth. That's the Word of God. If you receive one of these, how ought we to do then? I tell you, we ought to receive the weak. We ought to receive the little ones. And it can be a little young'un. It can be. Absolutely. But I tell you, the little ones that are weak in the faith, we ought to receive them and bring them in and let them be a part and love them just like we would the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I ain't worried about them weaklings. They can fend for themselves. What if God left you to fend for yourself? Ain't it good that God doesn't leave His children to fend for themselves? And boy, we're just going to throw them to the dogs. I don't care what happens to them. I don't care if their feelings are hurt. I don't care if it wounds their faith. I don't care if it hurts their trust. I don't care what happens. I'm going to do as I see fit. Well, know this. Go ahead and do. But you're doing it to the Lord just as you're doing it to them. That's the Word of God. And so Paul says this in Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter number 14, verse number 15. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat. Now what are we talking about here? You know how in the Old Testament there were unclean beasts that by the ceremonial law they were not allowed to eat. But under the new covenant, through the blood of the Lord Jesus, we can bless whatever and eat it all and none of it is unclean to us. But you know in this day, there were people, no doubt, for 60 years had been brought up in the Jewish faith. They had never eat pig. They had been taught from a little young'un to never eat pig, that it's nasty, that it's unclean. And now here they are, they've been saved, and they still have that thought about the pig. I've heard this. Maybe this is silly, but I, I believe it's a valid point. I, I've had a woman tell me I, I was taught from a child that you didn't dance or you were going to hell. And I still can't, I still can't bring myself to that. You know what that was? That, that's not true. But you know what? That was ingrained in her. She was taught that from a little young'un. And that still stays with her today. Well, that's what you've got here. Here you've got people that were brought up under the law. And they believe that eating meat is wrong. Not any meat. Unclean. A swine, we'll say. But now in Jesus, 
Paul recognizes that in Jesus all things are clean and He is free to eat meat and it not be a condemnation to me. So you know what the nature of a pile of people is going to be? Well, I can eat it and it don't hurt me a bit. I don't care what them little weaklings think. They can like it or lump it. Is that what Paul says in the Word of God? Listen to what he says. This is Romans 14 verse 15. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, if he sees your meat, and yeah, he's a weakling, he may be a little child, and he sees you eating that pork, and he says, you know what, I I just don't believe, I don't see how you can do something like that. That's wrong. If he be grieved, now walkest thou not charitably. What is charitably? It's the love that John Wayne. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And here, here you've got a brother that's not walking in love, considering those around him that's weak. But here's a man walking to glorify himself and tread all over everybody else around him. That's not walking in love. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Think about that for just a minute, would you? How do you know? How do you know scripturally that the Lord loves you? That's what the Bible says, isn't it? God commendeth. That means to exhibit or to put on display. God commendeth His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we know this as well. The Lord Jesus says there's no greater love than this, than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. That's the greatest love. So you know, I I can sit here and say, I know for a fact that God loves me with the greatest love that ever could be because He showed me that there on the cross the day that He died for me. Well, you know what? The weakest and the littlest child in the house that believes in the Lord Jesus. Notice that now. That is written in Matthew. Whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe. We're talking about people that have faith and that are saved and that are a part of the church of the living God. Whoso shall offend... One of these little ones which believe, you know what they can say? Boy, all them that's littler than we are. They can say, well, wait a minute. You know, God showed me that same love. Paul says don't destroy. Don't destroy one that the Lord Jesus loved and not just loved a little. Not just thought of in the back of his mind but one that the Lord Jesus went to the cross and gave Himself for. If the Lord Jesus died for them and loved them, then may God help us to give our lives for their good as well. For the good of the church. The greatest will be the servant of all. Is that not what He says? And so, it were better. Now think about this. If you're going to entice to apostasy or to turn away from God, 
one of these little ones that believe in the Lord. Then Jesus says, it'd be better for you that a millstone. Now that's, I'm sure, back in the old days, we're familiar or we've seen them as a decoration. A millstone is one of those great round wheels that they used at the mill to grind up the barley and the wheat and the corn into flour. Not a little rock, but something that outweighs a man. And the Lord Jesus says, it'd be better if one of those stones were hung about your neck and you were thrown into the sea. Boy, it'd be better for you to be dead than to offend one... That's, that's the Word of God, isn't it? I realize that's weighty. I realize that's hard to hear. But that is the Word of God. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Hold your place right there in 1 John for just a second. So, it would be better that a millstone be hanged about her neck, cast into the sea, and we drown, then it would be to offend, to trip up one of these little ones that believe in the Lord. So as, as I live then, should I not consider the little ones? Should there not be? I mean, well, wait a minute. Well, well I'm saved. I'm saved. Well, wonderful. The Lord said it'd be better that I be drowned in the sea than to offend one. So I think it would be worth my effort to be mindful of the little ones. Well, I'm, I'm greater than they are. Well, glory, hallelujah. If you really are, then the Lord made you that way. And the Lord may cause them to far exceed you one day. It may very well happen. But I'm going to say this. If your thinking is you're greater, then you're as carnal as people out in the world. And you've missed the whole message of the kingdom of God. So the Lord then says, Woe unto the world because of offenses. So He says here in 1 John chapter number 2, little children, verse 18, It is the last time, and as you have heard, that Antichrist shall come even now. There are many antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. Turn to chapter 4. Try the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone out into the world. We could look in 2 Peter chapter 2 that there's false prophets in the old days. There will be false teachers among you. You can look at Jude. You can look at the parables of the Lord Jesus and see that there's tares among the wheat. And I tell you what we can recognize. That there's going to be offenses in this world. It can't be helped. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians, I looked it up while John Wayne was teaching. Paul says it must needs be that there be offenses that those that are genuine might be made manifest. And so this falling away, as he's going to talk about in 1 John 2, there's going to be a multitude go out from the church that were professors of godliness, that professed to be saved, that professed to be converted. 
they had become His children and been brought into the kingdom. But what were they doing? They were leaving. I'm leaving the church. I'm just, I'm going to leave. You know what that manifests by the book? That manifests that I'm not in the church by the birth from above. They went out from us that it might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But you know what is manifested? Boy, I tell you, them ones, them ones that get walked all over, them ones that get mistreated, them ones that, that get the hard looks of men, those that everybody thinks are so much better and they're so much smarter and they're so much stronger than they are and look at how weak and pitiful that they are. They endure that and they don't ever leave the church. You know what that's evidence of? There's the weaklings that have stayed with it and the mighty have went to the house. I tell you, that's evidence of a work of God, wouldn't you say? But woe unto the world because of offenses. I've heard it said before, it'd be terrible to be lost in today's world. It'd be terrible to be lost at any time in this world. In the days of the Lord Jesus, it would have been a terrible time to have been lost. You know why? Because everywhere that you look is lies and deceit and false doctrine. You go to a church up the road and they're preaching just believe and that's good enough. You go to the church down the road and they're saying if, if you'll do this, you can be saved. You go to the church on past it and they say if you'll just give me a check, you'll be alright. And you go to the television and what's on the television? Any truth on the television. No, I tell you what's on the TV. The newest Disney movie got two women smooching. You know what? That's, that's for the youngins. That's there to trip them up from an early, wouldn't you say? To ensnare them. Because if I grow up at 10 and I think that's all right, and I somehow wander underneath the gospel and hear preaching, why, them old fogies don't know what they're talking about. There's nothing wrong with sin. Sin is the end of that. And so there's lies and deceit everywhere. And people are being pulled and led astray on every side. And the Lord Jesus says, whoa. I tell you, that, that word's a, that's a lightly taken word today. But in the Bible days, that was a weighty word. A cry under the weight of of judgment and sin. Woe unto the world because of the offenses that have ensnared and entrapped people and there they sit. You know what they're waiting on? It's a picture of a fowler and in his snare, he's caught him a bird. You know what that bird's in there waiting for? It may not know it, may not recognize it, but that animal that's in the trap is waiting on the trap master to come and take its life away from it. And there's where man is. Man is asleep in the snare of the lies of the devil and there he is awaiting the very judgment of God. And man beats his chest and says, I'm glad I'm not like Anthony. Better than he is. I've done a whole lot better job than they've done. And if I'd done that, I'd be better than him. 
Why? Because we're big. We're better. I'm afraid we're deceived. Because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses will come. But woe. So the world's in bad shape. The world's deceived. By the Word of God, the world is going to wax worse and worse. Deceivers and wicked men deceiving and being deceived, they're on a downhill path. The world is going to continue away from God. No surprise there. But woe unto the man by whom the offense cometh. So I I believe you could see this picture here. You've got Judas Iscariot. Judas was the man. This might be hard to swallow. But you tell me if this ain't true. Why was Judas Iscariot born? He was a devil from the beginning. He was prophesied of in the Old Testament, was he not? What he was going to do, and even the price that he was going to sell the Lord Jesus for, it was foretold in the Old Testament. So Judas was born to follow Jesus around and betray Him and sell Him at the end. And this is what the Lord says of that man. The Bible says, Matthew 26, verse 24, The Son of Man goeth as it is written of Him. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. So Jesus is going to the cross according to the plan of God. Is that an excuse for Judas to sell him? Why, why I can sell him and nothing's going to happen to me. The world's so much worse. Well, that's what the Lord's saying here. Woe unto the world because of offenses, but woe unto the man. Let's get it down to the individual. Let's bring it down to each one of us as we live today. If you're going to be a source of offense, if you're going to be a source that would trip up and lead away from the Lord Jesus, if you're going to be a source of one that's going to offend one of these little ones, it would have been better that you'd never been born. That's what he says here about about Judas. And he says this in Ecclesiastes about the man. I'm going to read it and not try to quote it because I'll mess it up if I try to quote it. Ecclesiastes chapter number 6. If a man begat a hundred children and live many years, so that the days of his years be many, and his soul be not filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. Now that's weighty words. We're not talking about one here that suffered their whole life. We're not talking about one here that had an absolutely hard life from birth to the grave. But he's taking it all the way to the extreme. If a man begat a hundred children, if children is your joy, then have a hundred of them. And live many years 
so that the days of his years be many. Life to the fullest. But if the soul be not filled with good, where does that feeling come from? I've got a cup here. It's almost empty. Is that going to fill itself? If I set it here, will it ever fill itself? So if I'm a soul that's empty, am I going to fill myself? How can an empty soul fill itself? You know what's going to have to happen? Somebody's going to have to come with a source. And from the source, they're going to have to pour in that this might be filled. That's what the Lord does. You, you recognize that? The Lord comes by. He comes to those that are dry and dead and desert land and He pours out His Spirit upon them and then, then they become a source. From their bellies flows the fountain of living water. This He spake of the Spirit which should be given. And so the Lord does this work and without this work being done, without there being a new birth from heaven to that soul, then there, it would have been better for the man to have never come out of the womb alive. Uh, we're talking about a judgment that's far beyond what you think about here. We are. We're, we're talking about a judgment where... If thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. So if, if my hand, my right hand, that, that is important, very important to my life and to me living in this world. My right foot is very important to me living and working and having my being in this life and my right eye. Well, you've still got another one. Yeah, and you've got another hand too. But you don't want to do without the one. And so the Lord says, it would be better for you to cut off your hand than to let your hand keep you from the kingdom of God. It'd be better for you to be halt or to be maimed. It'd be better for you to only have one eye and enter into glory than it would be for you to be cast into everlasting fire and into hell fire. That word's Gehenna. That lake of fire at the end of the age. So what would be worth it then for me to die and lift my eyes in perpetual fire? Anything, anything worth that. I mean, if, if my hand and my foot and my eye is not worth me leaving here lost, then what shouldn't I extend? That's what the word means. What shouldn't I cut off of my life that I might enter into the kingdom of God? But boy, I tell you, far less than a hand and man resists the call of the kingdom of God. Man has never been changed. He's never come to the gospel. He's on his way to perpetual fire and judgment and the wrath of God and man is unwilling to come to the gospel. Isn't that amazing? Boy, I tell you, man, man's so hard. 
He's hard-headed. He's hard-hearted. He's stiff-necked. He can walk and tread and do evil and be cruel. And it don't bother him a bit. How can that be? How can it be that I be like that? Take heed. Take heed. And if I don't hurry along, we're not going to have time. I want to finish this. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones to think against or to disesteem. Despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Now there's a lot that can be made out of that right there. I realize that's taken, and that's there's a lot of liberty taken with that verse right there. But let's see exactly what he says, that the angels of these little children are beholding the face of the Lord. So that word there, if you look over in Acts, you remember where Peter was thrown in prison, the church made prayer without ceasing, the angel came and let Peter out of the prison and led him away. And Peter came to the house where the church was praying and he knocked on the door and the, the young lady come to the door and, and opened the door. And she closed it back in amazement and she went in and said, Peter's standing at the door. And they said, no, that, that wasn't Peter. You've seen his, his angel. That's what they said. That's the same word right here. So they're saying that wasn't Peter in the body, but you've seen the the spirit of Peter. You see that? And so here are these children of God, these that have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, these that have been regenerated and born again. And you know what the Lord says? They're beholding my face and the Lord is looking onto them. Would that not be true for every child of God? I, I can go to pray. Think about this. That I can go to pray and I can know God's ear is turned to me because through the sweet incense of the Lord Jesus Christ, my prayer is made acceptable. Who else can claim that? Everybody that's in Jesus Christ can claim that. It's that that the Lord died for. The Lord's eye and His mind and His heart are with all of His little children and He's looking over them and He's protecting them and He's keeping them. He's guarding over them and He will bring judgment against those. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. And that word lost, it means to perish or to be fully destroyed. The Lord didn't come to save the big ones. As a matter of fact, the Lord's never saved a big one, a mighty one, a righteous one. He never has. But through this conversion... God's brought them all down to Him 
as a little child. Well now, I, I know somebody that got saved and they were so good, I don't believe that they came down like a little child. Well, except they did, then they did not enter in. You see, that's the, the only way that somebody can be saved is that God convert them and they come as a little child unto Him. That's who the Lord saves. So for me to look and despise one of the little children when I am indeed a little child, how foolish, how backwards is that? That's the only thing now that a high view of myself will produce. The higher I think of me, the less I'll think of you. The more I think of my mind and of my ability, the lower you are my sight. And the more I do it by my strength, the weaker and more detestable you are in my sight. But boy, with a sober mind, recognizing that all of this is the product and work of God, could we not come together in unity? And just as John Wayne said, the little stones and the big stones, they all come together to make one wall. That's the way the church is. I've got a big muscle right here, and with this muscle here, and this one here, I'm able to carry a great load. But you know, I've got this right here in comparison. In comparison to this. You talk about weak. This is weak in comparison to these. Is that not true? But you know that this is necessary to the function of my body. And if I lose this little, that little thing that's weak and that's insignificant, we'll cut her off and see how you go. That's the way the church is. The church is a body that the Lord's put together. We know some are weaker than others, but they've got a different purpose. This isn't carrying the heavy load of my body day by day, but boy, when I need to, when I need to pick something up, it helps me do that. And so there's the church. Each with our purpose. Each in the family. Don't despise one of these little ones. God forbid we despise a child. I, but I don't think that happens very much. God forbid that we despise those in the church round about us that you think you're better than.